while I'm introducing Ty here, those of you kids that are ages kindergarten through fifth grade, come to the front. And if you're ages three through five, uh, go to the back and meet your teachers back there as you go in for your time of teaching. Uh, this morning we have a guest speaker, uh, Ty Zimmerman. Most of you probably know who Ty is. Uh, he's a graduate of JC High, JC High School, uh, played some football over at K-State. Um, and uh, right now he's serving as the regional director of FCA. And uh, we are really looking forward to hearing from him this morning. Happy to have him as a part of our congregation. So take it away, Ty. Can I use uh, this one? Oh, or that. Oh, that one back here. All right. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. That was what I was most nervous about, if I was going to have to call up the elementary kids. So glad Eric took care of that. Hey, uh, man, it's good to be in the pulpit this morning. Uh, I am thankful that Ronnie has given me a chance uh, to kind of talk about my wife and I's work with, with FCA and, the, and a chance to to bring you God's word this morning. Uh, I do want to say this before I jump in. My wife and I started coming here, man, back in November, less than a year ago, and uh, you guys have welcomed us with, with open arms. And I remember our first time coming, you know, we talk about in here all the time, fostering, that idea of fostering the family of God. And we left here, man, with that thought, that, man, this feels like a, a family. And we really wanted to come somewhere, not where we could be served, but to serve and to use our gifts. And so you guys have, have welcomed us, and it's been a joy to, to get to know some of you in here on a deeper level. So, so thank you for, for welcoming us with, with open arms. Uh, I was struggling this week, honestly, thinking through how do I talk about our ministry with FCA, but also take the time to, to, to really teach God's Word. And so what I want to do with our time this morning is I'll kind of give you an overview for those of you who are not familiar with, with our ministry, I'll give you an overview of what we do and kind of our mission here around the JC and, and surrounding areas. And then I'll dive right into a passage in Mark chapter 4. So if you want to get your Bibles out and get that ready to go, we'll be in Mark 4 this morning. And there's a passage in there Jesus teaches on what's known as the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. And uh, it's been really impactful, not only in our work with, with FCA, but also uh, just in our personal lives and trying to, to reach other people. And so I'll teach on that. Uh, for a little bit, and then at the end, I'll come back to, hey, if you want to get involved with FCA, there's a few ways you can, you can do that, all right? So FCA-wise, uh, FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, is an, it's a sports ministry, and so our desire is to reach coaches and athletes with, with the gospel. My wife and I came on staff uh, 2018, summer of 2018, which was a huge leap of faith for us at the time. Uh, she was pregnant with Ezra. And uh, so for us, leaving a full-time paid position as a teacher and a coach, that's what I was doing before, to now go and raise support, uh, that was a huge leap of faith. But man, we saw God's provision on our life during that time really grew in our own marriage and our own faith and saw his hand of, of favor on us. And so it was a time of growth for us. But uh, we kind of oversee the north-central Kansas region, and so Junction City, Manhattan, and then all the towns up north to the, to the Nebraska border, and really with a desire, again, to reach coaches and athletes. And people think of FCA and they think youth ministry, athletes, it's in our name, but we're really a coach's ministry. Uh, we talk all the time about how impactful a coach is in the lives of their athletes, and so that's our desire is to engage, equip, and empower coaches really to know Jesus and to make him known in, in that context and in that, in that influential platform that they have as a, as a coach. And so we do that in a few different ways. Uh, we, we have, I like to think of our, our ministry environments as events, huddles, and one-on-ones. And, one -on -ones. and so, Event ministry for us, we do a lot of camps. So if you were paying attention this summer, we did a football and, and baseball camp here locally. 
Uh, we do camps throughout the year, a, a, a statewide FCA camp where we're gathering coaches and athletes to develop them, yes, athletically, but much more spiritually. Uh, we do some outreach events throughout the year. Events for us is just a chance to gather coaches and athletes and say, hey, this is who Jesus is. Do you want to get connected to, to the FCA ministry? And so we do many different events throughout the year. Huddle ministry for us, if you've ever been involved with an FCA, you may have had a huddle at your school. And so it's a, it's a focused Bible study for, for coaches and athletes uh, in the area. And so we have, again, in our north central Kansas area, like I, last week, for example, I was at Clay Center. They're kicking off a huddle there. And so it's a chance for us to really equip coaches and athletes with the word of God and, and to know, again, how to follow Jesus in the context uh, you know, surrounding their school and how to impact the people that are around them. And then we also do one-on-one -on -one ministry. And so that's a chance to connect with the coach or athlete one-on-one -on -one, uh, in an intentional discipleship relationship and really help them along in that, in that journey to know Jesus. And so many different ways, but all, all under the banner of, of sports, right? Helping coaches and athletes to know and follow Jesus. And as I was thinking about this time this morning, thinking about really the last couple months that Ronnie and Matt have been preaching through this idea of what's love got to do with it, that, that sermon series, I, mean, I think this fits right in, right? This idea of reaching other people, right? If, as a Christian, what I'm proclaiming is that I was lost, right? And Jesus sought me out and found me. And so now how can I turn around with the people that are around me and point them to the one who is trying to seek and to save them as well, right? And I, and I think of, you know, Paul talks about in Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then he goes on to say, how are they to know unless somebody tells them, right? How are they to know unless somebody shares this, this message with them? And so, that idea of what's love got to do with it, man, love compels us to point other people to Jesus. And so that's what I want to do uh, with our time this morning in Mark chapter 4. So if you're there, I want you to follow along. We're going to read verses 1 through 20, so it's a kind of a, a long passage. The first section, Jesus will introduce this parable to a very, very large crowd. And in the second section, he's kind of alone with his disciples, and he unpacks it a little bit. And, uh, and I think what we learn here. What I hope is that it will help us to look inward first at our own heart, right, and to see where am I at when it comes to responding to Jesus, and then also we look outward and, and make sense of how do we reach other people with this, with this good news, okay? So this is what Jesus said in, in, in Mark chapter 4, verse 1, again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in, on it in the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell along the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, since it had no root, and it withered away. Other seed fell along the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell along to the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, this is where he begins unpacking what this parable means to his disciples. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. 
And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Okay, so let's unpack this a little bit. I got three points for you. That's kind of a traditional first Christian church sermon, three points. Although, last week, Ronnie got a four-point sermon. Remember that? I was, I was kind of shocked at that fourth point. But I got three points for you, all right? This idea, again, looking inward at our own hearts and then outward towards other people. Number one, here's the point. Many people reject Jesus. How's that for a first point? Many people reject Jesus. Jesus lays out this obscure parable to the crowd, and the disciples come to him in verse 10 and say, ask him the meaning of the parable, right? In Matthew's account, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have the same account. Matthew's account, they specifically ask him, Jesus, why do you speak to the crowds in parables? Right? And a parable is basically a long analogy. Its, its definition is something cast alongside something else. So a, a story cast alongside a truth in order to illustrate that truth. Right? And so parables were a common for, form of teaching in Judaism. We even see examples of parables in the Old Testament. But at this point in the Gospels account, Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8, from this point on, Jesus exclusively uses parables when he's talking to the crowds. Right? So why did he use parables? That's an important question for us to answer. Right, I've heard, I've heard in, in, in different Christian circles before, you know, Jesus used parables to make his teaching more clear to the crowds, to draw in more people. Right? And so the natural takeaway from that is, hey, we should use stories like Jesus did. Right? And that, that sounds good. Right? That, that may feel like a good answer, but that's not what our text says. Look at verse 11 and 12 with me. He said, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Why? So that they may indeed see but not perceive, and they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. If you, if you read a, a physical Bible like I have up here, you probably have a, a, a little a mark in there indicating that he is quoting something else. And what Jesus quoting, is quoting here is Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. If you have not read the prophet Isaiah, go back and and do it at some point, right? And specifically, I got some homework for you. If you've never read Isaiah chapter 53, mark that down right now, all right? Mark it down right now. Go back and read it this afternoon when you get home. I promise you, you will be in awe of the power of God and his word. That whole chapter is about this coming Messiah, written six or 700 years before Jesus even walked the earth. And so if you've never read Isaiah 53, go back and read it. But he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, Okay? And Isaiah was a prophet commissioned by God to go to the people of Israel at a time of much spiritual apathy, idolatry, all kinds of rebellion. All right, and so God commissions Isaiah, and in verse 9, God tells Isaiah, he said to him, go and say to the people, to the Israelites, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their hearts. And understand with their, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. All right, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? He's quoting Isaiah, a message of judgment on the people 
for rebelling against him, saying, you have ears, but you cannot hear. You have eyes, but you cannot see. Your heart is hard to the truth. Why do you speak in parables, Jesus? Well, to you, to my disciples, those of you who are following me, it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, those who reject me, everything is in parables. So again, that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand. You see, this parable does what all of Jesus' parables do. It divides people into two groups, those who have a, a ears to hear and eyes to see and those who do not. Right? Those who desire to pursue truth and those who do not. Right, so parables serve two purposes. They hide or obscure truth from unbelievers while at the same time drawing in his disciples and those that desire to follow him. Right, so the fact of the matter is many people reject Jesus. Jesus introduces four soils here. Three out of the four are those who reject him, who fall away and do not follow him. Right, and so you might be thinking, if I'm, if I'm preaching a sermon on reaching other people, why in the world would I start by saying many people reject Jesus? That's not very encouraging, right? Why can't I save that for the end or, or don't even put this in the sermon at all? But the reality in our ministry, for my wife and I and for our personal lives, the reality of rejection is actually a source of encouragement. It's actually a source of encouragement. All right. And let me explain. Right? The, the, the truth of God in his word is that Jesus is on the throne. Amen. He is on the throne. He is currently reigning right now. The truth of God's word is that he is returning to judge and living in the dead. Philippians 2, every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord, right? So people will either bow to him as Lord and Savior or Lord and Judge, only one of two groups, right? He is coming to establish his new kingdom, his new heavens, new earth. Revelation 7, that beautiful passage, that future fulfillment where a multitude of people from every tongue, tribe, nation, language will be around the throne saying, holy is the lamb that was slain. So while we know that rejection is a reality, and as Jesus said, broad is the road to destruction, and many people go down it, and narrow is the path to life, and few people go down it, and in this very large crowd, scholars believe this was thousands upon thousands of people that heard this parable, the vast majority of them walked away. Only a few of his disciples came and asked him about the meaning of it. While we know that rejection is evident, we also know that God's kingdom is advancing right now. Right? He is drawing people in to himself right now. His, his church is growing in the midst of much rejection. Right? We can take encouragement in that. We are encouraged in our ministry. Right? This, this last summer when we did that football camp, a few of you guys helped out with the, the football camp that we did. We had many elementary school, middle school, high school athletes, some college athletes there. And at the end of the camp when we gathered around and, and told them, hey, this is who Jesus is, this is what he's done for you, this is what it means to follow him. And every single one of them went home with a Bible. We did that knowing that, hey, while many of them probably will reject that message, God knows those who are his, and he is drawing people into himself. And there are some there, where, whether it's today or next week or a year from now or 50 years from now, some of them there, those seeds that were sown will become you know, fruit in their lives, and they will become a Christian. All right? So in the midst of much rejection, we can be encouraged in that, knowing that God's church is growing. I see the church doesn't operate by the world's standards, right? Our American consumer society is all about what? Productions, success, numbers, measurements, right? And from a worldly standpoint, three out of the four soils rejecting Jesus would have been a failure. That's 25%, right? The world would say, look at that and say, hey, Jesus, you need to come up with a better method of sowing. 
Jesus, you need to come up with a better seed. Jesus, you had this large crowd, thousands upon thousands of people. Do something to keep them there. Do something to entertain them, Jesus. And church, this is something that we've had to struggle and battle in our ministry, that idea of what success truly is, and I think in many ways has been the downfall of American Christianity, is that we have tried to mimic society in too many, too many ways, thinking that success means more butts in a seat or more people showing up, right? And numbers are, are, are not a bad thing in and of themselves. We want more coaches and athletes to come to our events, our huddles. We want more to get plugged in. But at the end of the day, what we measure success by is our faithfulness and sharing the truth and not in how many people end up sticking around, Amen. That has to be our measurement of success. We proclaim the truth about Jesus and his kingdom, knowing that while many people reject, there is also some that are being, seeds being sown into their lives, and God is growing his church. So many people reject Jesus. Therefore, that leads us to point number two. The problem is not the seed. It's the soil. Right? The problem is not the seed. It's the soil. What is the seed? Jesus tells us in verse 14 is this, that the seed is the word of God, or as, Matthew account, as Matthew's account puts it, it's the word of the kingdom. Right? It's, it's the message of the gospel found on the pages of scripture. Right? So the word of God is sown into the soil, into people's hearts, and he details four different responses that is represented by these four soils. And so let's, let, let's spend some time unpacking these four soils. And again, let's do some inward look at our own hearts, and then outwardly, how do we reach other people in light of this? Okay, verse 15, if you want to look there with me. Verse 15, seed number one, or soil number one, is, is the seed that fell along the path. Right? In our modern culture, we have large farming equipment and nice fences and concrete roads to distinguish who, whose field is what. But in that day, they would have to create these paths that would traverse fields and go through fields and create boundaries so that they knew which field was theirs and so they wouldn't have to walk through people's crops. Right? And so naturally, over time, as people created these narrow paths, that path would become like hard concrete. All right? So naturally, the seed that fell along that path could not take root. Birds would come and snatch it up. Jesus said that this represents people who hear the gospel. They hear the word of God, and when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the, the seed that was sown, and it never takes root. We've seen this too many times to, to count in our ministry and in our personal lives. Times where I've talked about, hey, this is who God is, this is what he's done for you, and it's like talking to a wall. People's hearts are just hard to it, right? Their heart is so hard that, that nothing gets through, and what happens, Satan comes and snatches up the word that was sown. I think we're often blind to this idea of spiritual warfare, that there's a battle of, of souls going on right now, especially when it comes to, to reaching others, right? When we, this idea of sharing truth with other people, are we actively playing, praying, hey, God, soften their hearts, Soften the soil of their hearts. All right, there's been times in the past where I've thought, you know, I can just use good analogies. I can, if, if I just give the best gospel presentation there is, if I can just convince somebody by evidence, then they'll believe, then they'll come to know Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, many people are just hard to the gospel. All right, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, he says, the message of the cross is actually foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are saved, it's the power of God. So listen, I've been in, in, in situations before where a small group of, of young athletes or you know, two people sitting next to each other hearing the same gospel message. Nothing's changed about the seed, nothing's changed about the method of sowing. The same gospel message, and to one, it's foolishness. To the other, it's the power of God. 
How does that happen? Jesus tells us it's due to the hardness of the heart, the hardness of the soil. All right, that's why it's so dangerous to be at a place where you're hearing the truth continually and you're not responding. All right, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 3, that tells the church in Hebrews 3, talking about you know, the Israelites in the wilderness, how they rebelled against God. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right, Romans 1, Paul says what? They, re- they knew God and they rejected him as God. They refused to honor him as God. And what happened? God gave them over. Right? So there's a point. This is what da- is dangerous about being hardened to the gospel is there's a point where, man, your heart could be so hard that God just gives you over. There are many people that are hard to the gospel. We must be praying for soft, soft soil, for God to soften their hearts. All right, let's look at soil number two. I'm going to go soil number two and soil number three together, and then we'll unpack those uh, together. All right, so verse 16 and 17. Soil number two is the seed that fell along rocky ground. So this would have been like a layer of, of thin topsoil and rock underneath. And so if you've ever planted a tree or gardens, you know that when you plant the seed, what happens? It grows down, right, the root system first before it grows up. And so naturally, if it goes down and there's rock there, it can't go down anymore. It's going to sprout right up and it's going to get scorched by the sun. He says this represents people who hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root, no depth. And when tribulation or persecution comes on account of the word, they immediately fall away. Right into soil number three, and then again we'll unpack these together. Verse 18 and 19. Soil number three is a seed that fell among the thorns. All right, this makes sense. My wife and I have a, have a garden in our backyard. I was back there yesterday pulling out weeds from the garden. Why? Because if you leave them in there, they're going to choke the plants. They're going to suck all the nutrients from the plants. He says, those among the thorns are those that represent people who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. All right, so both with the rocky soil and the thorny soil, these seem to represent people who may have some emotional surface-level response to the gospel, but it's not real. Or there are no deep abiding roots in Jesus. So when it comes time to, to count the cost, when the thought of following Jesus butts up against a job or a social life or a certain sin or friendships or family, family relationships or the desires for other things enter in, these people fall away. These things expose where the, the heart is truly at. Right, I think of, of uh, what Ronnie preached last week from 1 John 2. The end of that, when he says, do not love the world or the things of the world, right? Because the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life does, doesn't come from the Father, but from the world, right? Jesus teaches us here that there are people on rocky soil, people among the thorns that may have a general goodwill towards God, might think it's a good thing to do, and in many cases could be attending churches because it's the right thing to do, but there is no deep abiding roots, And over a time, it becomes clearer and clearer that their love for the world far surpasses any love that they may have had for Jesus. I've experienced clear examples of this in my own life. People who may, you know, I I remember an athlete that had an emotional response to the gospel, seemed like he was filled with much joy, and then two months later, he was back to his old life, his old habits, wanting nothing to do with Jesus and the things of God. I had a friend who and I was in a small group with, doing ministry with for years, and left his wife, left his child over time. The desires for the world came in and choked out 
that seed, that heart. Right? How does this happen? How does this happen? It's not the seed that's the problem. It's not the sowing or the sowing method that's the problem. It's the soil. It comes down to the person's heart. Right? And let me be clear. The gospel is simple. The gospel is so simple. Right? Jesus was delivered over for our sins and raised to life to justify us before God. Place your faith in him. You'll be forgiven, experience peace with God both now and forever. As my son always says, hey, Jesus died and came back to life. Right? The gospel is so simple that a three-year-old could understand it. And yet, it goes so much against what the desires of our flesh and, and what the world has to offer us that many people are not able to abide. As John MacArthur says, Pastor John MacArthur, he says, the call of Je- that Jesus gave was a call to follow him, a call to submission, a call to obedience. It was never a plea to make some kind of momentary decision to acquire forgiveness and peace in heaven and then go on living any way you wanted. The invitations of Jesus to the lost were always direct calls to a costly commitment. As Jesus said in Luke 9, what shall profit a man to gain the whole world, lose his soul, right? Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll truly lose it. The call of Jesus for us is a call to die, to die to ourselves and to live for him. But many people, out of a desire to hang on to what they want in life, end up like those first three soils. Three out of the four bear no fruit. Three out of four types of soils, types of hearts, are those that either reject Jesus or over time prove to be false converts, have a false profession of faith. So back to our point then, the problem is not the seed for us. Again, in our own lives, inwardly, in our own hearts, in our desire to reach other people, the, the problem is not the seed, it's the soil. Three out of the four are unfruitful. All right, church, look at me with uh, the fourth one. Because as, as, as depressing as the first three are, I think the fourth one surpasses that and the joy and the encouragement in what God can do in somebody else's life. Verse 20. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold, right? An average harvest in that day would have been 8 to 1, 8 to 1, with a 10 to 1 considered, like, incredibly exceptional. So when Jesus says here, 30-fold, 30 to 1, 60 to 1, 100 to 1, that's unbelievable, right? That's something that only God can do in our own own hearts and in somebody else's life. I I love the way that actually that, that Luke's gospel account says this in Luke Uh, 8, verse 15, he says, as for the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, listen, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. I love that. I love that. Holding, holding it fast, bearing fruit with patience. Right, brothers and sisters, what is the evidence that you are truly a Christian if not for the continual abiding in Christ? Right, that you are holding fast to him and bearing fruit with patience. That the, the soil of your heart has been tested. You've been tested with the trouble and the persecution like the rocky soil, and you have counted the cost. You have been tested with the cares of this world and the riches and the desires for other things like the thorny soil, and you have remained steadfast. Again, not just adding Jesus to your Sunday schedule, but, but you have been tested and, and tempted by this world, and you can stand there with an honest and good heart and say, Jesus, you truly are the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Jesus, you are my hope my joy, my crown, my confidence. Right. The only thing I want to live my life for. Our Monday discipleship group is uh, reading through different parts of Scripture. This week we 
read through some of Romans and, and got to Romans 5, and, and this really hit me this week. It talks about how we've been justified. By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, verse 2 and, and, and following, he says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God in this part. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to, to shame. It's the same as uh, James says in James 1, consider it pure joy, right, when you face trials and temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith does what? It produces perseverance, endurance in your life, right? So check this out. The things that end up exposing the false faith of the soil on rocky ground and thorny soil are actually the things that confirm the true faith of those of us on good soil. that's, That's why, as I was thinking about that, that's why the, the prosperity gospel, the, the word of faith movement that Ronnie alluded to last week is so foolishness. It's so foolish and so, so evil. That idea of, you know, if I just have enough faith, God will make me happy and prosperous and healthy and wealthy. It's easy to, to say I'm a Christian when, when things are, are going well. How about when a family member comes against you because of your faith in Christ? Right? How, about, how about when you lose friends because of your desire to follow him and be obedient to him? How about when a job is on the line? How about when the finances are getting tough? How about when you're in an environment where you have to stand up for the truth and you don't have any idea of what kind of outcome that's going to bring? All right, it's not the absence of those things that prove your faith. It's actually the presence of those things and your continual abiding in Christ that confirms the true faith of your heart. That should be an encouragement to us, church, right? Amen? That should be an encouragement to us, not only again as we look inward at our own hearts, but also to see that in other people. There's a young man we're connected to who recently has came, come to faith in Christ, been baptized just in the last seven or eight months. And it's been such a joy to, to walk alongside him and, and to see him really learn how to, like a little child, you know, Jesus uses that language you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. That idea of beginning this new life with Jesus and like a child learning how to walk, he's, he's walking and he's falling and he's getting back up and he's falling, right? He's being faced with all kinds of trials and temptations and things, desires for other things in his life, and he's continuing to hold fast to Jesus. That's been such an encouragement for me to let him know, hey, man, Jesus is not calling you to perfection. He's just calling you to follow him, to continue to abide in him. That's such an encouragement for us. And so as we look at these four soils again, do some self-reflection. Where's my heart truly at this morning? Am I holding fast to Jesus, or do I identify with more of those first three soils, being, being tempted, being, being enticed by the desires of the world? If so, the call, man, come to him. Come to him. Give your life to him. Lastly, point number three, as I close this out, and, and I'll, I'll go through this quick, but point number three is, man, we're simply called to be a seed sower, as Christians, we are known as seed sowers. When it comes down to it in, in FCA with our events, our huddles, our one-on-ones in our personal life, trying to reach others, we're called to simply sow seed. That's it. It's called to simply sow seed. God uses us to see, sow the seed of his word into people's hearts, and he's the one that bears the fruit. The question that I often ask myself is this, and I mentioned this to Ronnie. We were having a conversation a couple weeks ago. Is man, that, that, Just a simple question. How can I simply introduce more people to Jesus. Is that that too simple? How can I simply 
introduce people to Jesus, to connect him to his word, the one who has the power to save him. Isn't that our call as, as Christians? How can I simply look for opportunities to introduce people around me to the one who can save them? All right, 1 Corinthians 3, again, this sowing concept. As that church was facing much division, some of you, man, I follow Paulos, I follow Paul, I follow this other guy. Paul, Paul, is, Paul says to them, man, who are we? We're just servants on your behalf. He says, I, I, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who gave the growth. All right, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. All right, sometimes we're in a position to plant seeds. Sometimes we're in a position to water seeds that's already sown. But really, the, the planter and the water are expendable. We're replaceable. Right? It, the, the glory and the power belong to, to God who can produce the 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold into somebody's hearts. It's been fun to, again, have this backyard garden that we have at our house and uh, to, to watch Brinley and Ezra really be in awe of the wonder of God and his, and his creation. Right? And they were there from the beginning where we tilled up the soil, right, and began digging holes and threw some seed in and covered it up and began watering what looked like just dirt, right? And then overnight, what happens? The, the plants start sprouting up, and now we have an abundant tomato harvest so much that if you're looking for tomatoes, come, come to our house. We've got a ton, right? There we go. Got a couple hands raised. But, but if you think about it, I mean, I, I planted some seed. Brinley planted some seed. I, I watered a little bit. Ezra tried to water a little bit. I mean, he's getting to everybody, but he, he tried to water, right? But the power was in the seed, in, in, in the power of that seed to, to bring about the fruit. That's what only God can do. The power of God to, to save and transform someone's life. Again, and bear fruit in them 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So the question we need to ask ourselves, parents, are we being intentional about sowing seed, simply sowing seed into your children's hearts and, and continuing to water the seed that is being sown in them? Church, are we looking for opportunities, praying for opportunities Say, God, use me to just introduce people to Jesus. We're looking for opportunities to simply sow seed into people's hearts, knowing that, hey, I can't tell what kind of heart, what kind of soil this person is, so I'm just going to be obedient and faithful in sowing that seed. There's been people in my life where it seems like, man, they have a hard heart. Man, are they being enticed by the desires for other things, and, and God does something in them overnight. Right, so we're called to simply sow seed. Christians are seed sowers. Lastly, I'll, I'll mention this. I said I was going to come back to this at the end. Again, if you, if you are interested in, in sowing seed into, into, into uh, coaches and athletes' lives through our ministry, there's a few different ways to get involved, and I'll stick around to the end and, and talk to anybody in, interested. But we talk about praying, giving, and going. And if, you, if you're interested, if, if a ministry like FCA and really piques your interest, I would ask, first of all, that you would pray for us. All right? Pray, be praying for us based off of this passage. Be, be praying uh, that we would have more opportunities to sow seed. Be praying for good soil in coaches and athletes' hearts. All right? Uh, this one's not directly related to FCA, but directly related to that concept of, of coaches. Matt and I, as many of you know, are, are coaching football this season. My wife's coaching cross-country. I know Hannah coaches cross-country. Dane's here, coaches football. Bree coaches. Many other coaches. Craig coaches. Right? Pray specifically for us that we would not waste that time around athletes I just had a conversation with a young man yesterday after our practice where I got an opportunity, to, again, to sow seed, to simply sow seed into his life. There's so many of those opportunities for us out there, so I would just ask that you would pray for our boldness and our courage in doing that. Secondly, giving. We always 
uh, offer that to people that want to be financially invested. Again, if, if FCA is something that piques your interest, love to talk with you about it. And then lastly, go. Uh, man, if you want to volunteer with, the, with, with our ministry when we put on an event or a camp uh, and you want to help out, there's been some people here that have helped out in the past. Man, if you're a coach in this room and you want to get an FCA going at, at your school, come talk to me. would love to do that. All right. And the idea of looking inward and looking outward, many people reject Jesus. The problem's not the seed, it's the soil. So we're simply called to be seed sowers. All right, let's pray. Father, you are, you are good. Uh, you are good all the time. Thank you for being the King of kings and, and Lord of lords. Uh, Father, I pray uh, for our own hearts that, God, they would be soft uh, to your gospel, knowing that you are the one that can produce in us the fruit, the 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Praise you for, for uh, Jesus, Lord, that, that died and, and came back to life to reconcile us to you, and, and I just pray that we will look to him, continue to abide in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.